Can we really find Christmas in the Pentateuch? Old Testament scholar Dr. John Whitcomb will show us that we can today on Encounter God's Truth. Merry Christmas, friends. I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you to stay tuned to hear this special Christmas message from some of the oldest portions of God's eternal word, the first five books of Moses. Our teacher will show us that the setting for Christmas goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when God first promised a Savior. We trust this unique lesson will help you think biblically about the prophetic significance of Christ's birth and ministry. The Christmas season hits its crescendo this week, so we also invite you to visit us at facebook.com forward slash Whitcomb Ministries to prepare for His coming with more new materials that Dr. Whitcomb has produced especially for you there. But right now with his message for this weekend before Christmas, here now is Dr. John Whitcomb. Friends, it's truly amazing, isn't it? That from the beginning of the world, God has prepared the human race for Christmas, the coming of his beloved son 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. You say, really, for thousands of years from the beginning of the world? Yes, listen to what God said to Satan in Genesis chapter 3. Satan, remember, had deceived Eve and even Adam. And God graciously informed Adam and Eve, our first parents, that Satan was not a friend of theirs. In fact, there was going to be an enmity. Now listen carefully. Genesis 3.15, God said to Satan, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Now who is the seed of Satan? It's every unbeliever who chooses darkness rather than light and Satan rather than God. Your seed and her seed. Who, who's her seed? Those are believers, as we shall see in just a moment. Eve became a believer, and so did Adam. Now, how's that going to happen? Believe in what? How were they saved? Listen now, please. He, that is, the seed of the woman, a descendant of Eve, will bruise you on the head. That's a fatal blow, friend, to a serpent, to crush his head. But in the process, what will happen? You, Satan, shall bruise him on the heel. You'll wound him, hurt him. This seed of the woman, this ultimate person that's coming into the world through Eve. Now, we all realize they didn't understand, they didn't fathom the depth of this cryptogram, this mysterious prophetic statement. But they believed that God was going to what? Defeat their enemy, and somehow through a descendant of Eve, maybe even her first child, she might have thought, as we read in chapter 4 of Genesis, verse 1, she said when her boy Cain, the first baby ever born, she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Maybe she thought that he was the Lord. In any case, Adam and Eve believed this promise. You say, how do you know? Listen to what Adam did in verse 20. Now the man, Adam, called his wife's name Eve, Hava, living one. Why did he call her that? Because she was the mother of all living. Now, you say, well, what's the significance of that? The significance is simply this, dear friend. They believed that someone was coming into this world through them, through her, seed of the woman, who would destroy their enemy and bring blessing and hope. So what did Adam do? He, he called his wife's name Chava, Chava, living one. And God honored that statement, that mentality, that attitude, that, that acceptance, that faith, and did what? He made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now, they didn't need clothing, but the clothing taken from animals that had their blood shed for the first time in the history of the world bloodshed occurred to clothe them, to symbolize that they were covered by the blood of an animal, symbolic of what? 
of the coming Messiah, whose blood would cover us, friends, from the wrath of God forever. Isn't that an amazing cryptogram? A little hint of the coming of Jesus Christ, the first Christmas. Now, as you jump ahead thousands of years, long after the flood, long after the Tower of Babel, God called a man named Abram. His name was called Abraham. You remember him. Listen to what God said to him. He's sort of announcing Christmas to Abraham too, isn't he? Genesis chapter 12. Go forth from your country and from your relatives to the land which I will show you, and I will make you what? A great nation. You're going to become the father of a great multitude of people, Abram. And I will what? I will bless you and make your name great. And so you should be a blessing. Now, how can, it be, how can Abram be a blessing to anybody? How could anyone back there like that be an instrument of God to bring blessing to the world? Keep reading now. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. Now listen carefully. And in you, Abram, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, friends, that is not absolutely clear, is it? It's a little hint of something magnificent that's going to happen. Several years later, when he took Isaac to Mount Moriah, you remember, to sacrifice him on that altar at God's command. He obeyed God. He believed God would raise that boy from the dead. And symbolically, of course, he did because he, God said, now, now just, just stop here. I will provide for you. I will take care of you. By myself, Genesis twenty-two sixteen. I have sworn that because you have done this thing, I will greatly bless you and will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens, as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of your enemies. Now listen carefully, friends. Verse 18, And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. In other words, symbolically, Isaac became what? A Messiah figure. He was practically dead. He would have been within seconds if God hadn't prevented Abram from slaying him. And he was what? A symbol of Jesus, whom the Father did not spare, but delivered him up for us all on that cross. Now, friends, what an amazing Christmas message is it. In your seed, someone's coming who will be a blessing, Abraham, to the whole human race, to the whole world. Many, many years passed, and now at the end of the book of Genesis, we have another Christmas message. Isn't this fascinating? Now, this was the grandson of Abraham, Jacob, on his deathbed, speaking to his sons. Listen to Genesis 49, verse 10, speaking of Judah. The scepter, that is the, the symbol of kingship, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Now, wait a minute. Uh, why Judah? Judah wasn't any special person, was he? Well, friends, step by step, after he had betrayed his younger brother Joseph, remember, along with the other ten brothers, he repented of what he had done and took the leadership in the family and therefore became the one that uh, Jacob announced would be the, the new leader, progenitor, and to this day, we call all the descendants of Jacob, not just Israelites, but Jews, Judahites. Isn't this amazing? And from Judah comes the Messiah, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now, friends, listen again. God said that through Judah would come what? Shiloh. What's that mean? Well, Shiloh can't refer to the town of Shiloh, where the tabernacle was later erected. No, it refers to a... This is a cryptogram. Shiloh, Esherloh, to whom it is, to whom it belongs. Over a thousand years later, the answer comes. As you turn to Ezekiel chapter 21... Now, friends, where was Ezekiel? He was in Babylon. You remember, hundreds of thousands of Jews were were deported by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon for 70 long years. And Ezekiel had the sad, sad responsibility of informing the exiles, the Jews in Babylon, that they were stuck there under God's judgment for all these years. They might just as well settle down. Amazing, friends, is, is the letter that Jeremiah the prophet wrote to the Babylonian captives. He said, you might as well settle down. You're there for 70 years. Don't try to come back prematurely. You're under punishment. Jeremiah 29.5, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, become the fathers of sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and not decrease. And do what? Seek the welfare of the city. That's Babylon, where I have sent you to into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. And after 70 years, when 70 years have been completed in Babylon, I'll visit you and fulfill my good word to you and bring you back to this place. So you see, Ezekiel was God's messenger to the Jews in Babylon who had seen their city smashed, the temple destroyed. They were in a very, very difficult circumstance, weren't they? But there's hope. There's hope. Yes, the final last king, that wicked king Zedekiah, was under, had been cursed by God. You remember he was horribly treated by Nebuchadnezzar and shipped off to Babylon blinded. Now listen to what Ezekiel says about him. Ezekiel 21, verse 25. And you, O slain wicked one, you prince of Israel, whose day has come, that's Zedekiah now, who had laughed at, ridiculed, denied, rejected, and persecuted Jeremiah the prophet. In the time of the punishment of the end, thus says the Lord God, remove the turban, Take off the crown. This will be no more the same. In other words, the kingship, the royal kingship in Jerusalem has ended. Exalt that which is low. Abase that which is high. Now here we go. Are you ready? Verse 27. Here's the Christmas message he gave to Ezekiel 2,600 years ago. Listen. A ruin, a ruin, a ruin. I shall make it. Jerusalem is going to be devastated, he said, This also will be no more until, oh, there's hope. Until what? Until he comes, whose right it is, and I shall give it to him. Give what to him? Give what to whom? The kingship, the crown, the turban. Someday there will be a king. There will be a Christmas. God will send his son. And the Hebrew wording here, until he comes, whose right it is, Esherlo, Shiloh until Shiloh comes. Isn't that amazing how God waited all these years, over a thousand years, to explain what he meant by that cryptogram from the lips of dying Jacob back in Genesis 49. Turn back to Genesis 49, dear friends. Listen to this, this Christmas message he gave to Jacob. The scepter, that is the kingship, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, Until Shiloh comes, as we have seen, that means what? 
until he comes whose right it is, that's Messiah, Jesus. To him should be the obedience of the peoples. He will be prosperous, he'll be powerful, he'll be glorious, he'll meet every need of Israel. The Lion of Judah, yes, is coming. Now, isn't it amazing how he's, how his prosperous kingdom is described here? He ties his foal to the vine. You don't put a foal to a mere vine. It'll rip it out, won't it? His donkey's colt to a choice vine. Vines were valuable, but here in the kingdom, they're just everywhere. He washes his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are dull from wine and his teeth white from milk. In other words, that's a symbol of what? The amazing prosperity that Jesus will bring to the world as the King of kings and Lord of lords at the beginning of the thousand-year kingdom. So this, he's going to come Christmas. He's coming all the way back in Genesis chapter 49. Now, friends, that's not all. Along came a false prophet by the name of Balaam, who was hired, you remember, by Balak the king of Moab to curse Israel. And instead of a curse out of his mouth, came a blessing, a promise, a prophecy of Christmas. Listen to this. Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. Now here's the reluctant prophet who is, remember, paid, bribed to curse Israel. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him. That's the coming of Jesus, Christmas now, but not near. He's coming someday, somehow. And what will he be like when he comes, said Balaam? He'll be a star coming forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rule, arise from Israel. And what will he do? He'll have dominion. One from Jacob shall have dominion and shall destroy the remnant from the city. Isn't that amazing, friends, how God made Balaam, who was a false prophet, to the end, say things he didn't want to say about the coming of Messiah Christ and that Christmas. You know, the book of Deuteronomy, uh, the last book of the Pentateuch, talks also about Christmas. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 18. The Lord your God, Moses says now, will raise up for you a prophet like me, like Moses. I mean, with with infinite authority. Of course, Moses had a sin nature and and cursed, you remember, the people and didn't even get into the promised land. We understand the infinite difference between Moses and Jesus. But Moses had enormous divine authority in Israel, did he not? And by the Holy Spirit, he saw something coming, the Messiah. He saw that Christmas message, didn't he? Listen now. Deuteronomy 18.15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. From among you he'll be a Jew, just like I am. From your countrymen you shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb the day of the assembly, saying, remember at Mount Sinai, the, the mountain shook, it was smoke of flame and thunder, and the people were terrified at the voice from God. And, they, and Moses reminds them of that, doesn't he? Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore lest I die. That's what Israel pled with Moses. Don't let God talk to us like this. We're terrified, okay? Now, what's this Christmas person going to be? Listen now. Verse 18. The Lord said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you. 
and I'll put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Oh my. You mean our eternal destiny, dear friends, hangs in the balance of what we do with the words that came from from Jesus? Is that what Christmas means? That God sent an infinitely authoritative spokesman, a voice, a mouth, representing the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right. Infinitely authoritative, powerful words from the lips of Jesus Christ the Lord. Now, how is Israel supposed to know that he is speaking from God? And he asked the question for us. That's a very important, friends. Now listen. But the prophet who shall speak a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he shall speak in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Friends, there are thousands and thousands of false prophets from the beginning of world history that have not spoken from God and have deceived millions and millions of people. What is God's attitude toward these people? They shall die. They shall die. Remember back in Deuteronomy 13, even if a dreamer of dreams comes and his dream is fulfilled, if he speaks in the name of another God, he is to be executed. He is to be cut out of the nation. Divine surgery to, to, to preserve Israel from total collapse. The loving surgeon says, I will take care of that false prophet. And then the typical question then, this is amazing, isn't it? How God asks the question for us. He knows how, what we're thinking. And you may say in your heart, well, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? How do we know the difference between a false prophet and a true one? Well, here's one way. This is just one way. Verse 22. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. In fact, back in verse 20, what shall happen to him? He shall die. He is to be executed. Now, that is an amazing thing. Because remember, back in Deuteronomy 13, 2, it says, even if what he says does come to pass, if he speaks in the name of a false god, he is to be executed. Now, that is what Jesus carefully, emphatically, repeatedly did. He spoke in the name of his Father, and he spoke about things that are going to happen, and they happened. But he spoke the truth in love. He not only performed miracles, but he gave God, his Father, the glory for what he did and what he said. And so he was not speaking presumptuously. No, Messiah Christ did not speak presumptuously. What he said, he said not only things that did take place and did happen, but were spoken in the name of his Father. And I say, thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for coming into this world 2,000 years ago, that first Christmas, to represent your Father and the blessed Holy Spirit. Yes, to come and to tell us who God is. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So, friend, at this Christmas season, we say, Lord, help us to know who you sent 2,000 years ago, the sent one who came in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies all the way back to Genesis 3.15, Genesis 12, Genesis 22, Genesis 49. So this great Christmas prophecy in Deuteronomy chapter 18 ends with this statement. 
You don't need to be afraid of a false prophet. But friends, we need to be afraid of the true Jesus, the true Messiah who came that Christmas day. Because it says in John chapter 1 that he was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Now listen, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But here's hope. Here's the Christmas message, friends, for you and for me. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who do what? Who believe in his name, who were born not of the blood or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. Do you know him, friend? Is this Christmas time a time of rejoicing because you believe, respond to, accept, and act in the light of what God has said through the mouth of his beloved son, Jesus, the Savior of the world? That was Dr. John Whitcomb, our Bible teacher, and I'm Wayne Shepherd, your host here on Encounter God's Truth and Outreach of Whitcomb Ministries, Incorporated. Our web addresses are whitcombministries.org and sermonaudio.com forward slash Whitcomb, where you can always go back and listen to this program again. We trust that doing so will contribute to you and your loved ones having the most meaningful Christmas celebration, so please share our ministry with a friend. Now, Dr. Whitcomb, you ended our study time today in John chapter 1, and we've looked at Old Testament prophecies of Christ's coming. Can you tell us more about the fulfillment of these passages from John chapter 1? Wayne, most people don't realize that Christmas is enunciated very clearly even in John chapter 1. We know about, of course, Matthew and Luke and the detailed accounts there. But, but listen to the Christmas emphasis in John 1, beginning with verse 9. There was the true light, speaking of Jesus, which what? Coming into the world. The true light came into the world. That's Christmas. Think of that. That light enlightens every man. Verse 10, listen to this Christmas emphasis. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Amazing. Think of that. He was in the world. Who was in the world? The one who created the world, created the whole universe. Why would he come to this world? Why not some other planet, some other galaxy somewhere? And amazingly, this planet, small though it is compared even to other planets in our solar system, to say nothing of planets in other galaxies somewhere, is the only physical location in the universe where there is life, which is inhabitable. This is Isaiah forty-five eighteen. He made the earth, not Mars or Jupiter, he made the earth to be what? Inhabited. How amazing are the combination of circumstances the perfect arrangement of atmosphere and oceanic water and the size of this planet, the presence of a moon, and especially the right kind of a sun, a special star, just right for inhabited planet Earth. He came to this Earth. Now listen to this four times in John 1, Christmas message. Are you ready? John 1, 9, he came into the world. He did, the creator of the universe. Verse 10, he was in the world. In this planet, Earth, that's Christmas. Verse 11, he came to his own. That's human beings who would trust in him. And fourthly, verse 14, and the word became flesh, became human, and did what? And dwelt among us. Friends, it is unbelievable. It is absolutely stupendous that the creator of the universe, that's Jesus Christ, came to this planet that first Christmas to save us from our sin to be able to become a permanent member of the human race, to die for us on that cross, and to bear the sin that we could never pay for, that we might be in heaven with him forever. And someday we're sure this, aren't we, Wayne? 
that he'll sit us down and say, Dear child, let's talk. Why did I come to this planet? What was my purpose? What was the plan? And I say, Thank you, Lord, for telling us what the significance of Christmas really, really is. God's own Son came to this world, this earth, this planet, to become a permanent member of the human race. And I say, Lord, help me to share with my friends some insights perhaps they've never had on the significance and meaning and purpose of Christmas in the light even of the Gospel of John, chapter number one. And so, Wayne, I say to you and to all that are listening, a blessed Christmas in the light of who Jesus really is and what he came to do. And a blessed Christmas to you as well, Dr. Whitcomb. As we approach Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, we invite you to find your joy in the reality that God's Word is true from the beginning to the end. One way to do that is to listen to the Christmas messages we are featuring every day on sermonaudio.com forward slash Whitcomb. As we celebrate Christmas and prepare to close out this year, you want to keep your mind and heart focused on Scripture. That's why we make hundreds of Dr. Whitcomb's sermons and lectures available at sermonaudio.com forward slash Whitcomb. And then, after you enjoy Christmas, plan to join us here next time for a prophetic message that will help you set the year ahead in proper perspective. Dr. Whitcomb's title will be, Elijah May Appear This Year. As we close today, let me remind you of this good news from Matthew chapter 1. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which, being interpreted, is God with us. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.